Welcome to the Pemberley Podcast, a podcast where we discuss Jane Austen adaptations, now covering Recipe for Persuasion by Sonali Dev. I'm Yolanda Rodriguez. And I'm Jillian Davis. We are proud partners of the Frolic Podcast Network, a community made up of your favorite voices in all of Romancelandia and beyond. Keep up with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Pemberley, and you can email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another, probably the most exciting episode of the Pemberley Podcast. This week, instead of talking about the things that we are currently reading and watching, there's actually um, some great Jane Austen news that we get to talk about. Persuasion is getting made into a movie, which is really exciting. So there's not a lot of details yet. We kind of know like the main players involved. So Sarah Snook, who's an actress on Succession, is going to star as Anne Elliot. Jessica Swale, who's a playwright, is going to be adapting the book. And then director Mahalia Bello is uh, going to be taking this project on, which is really exciting. So it's like a great all-female team so far, even like from the producing partners, like they're women. So it's really cool to see this coming together. No real info as far as like, when is this coming out? Like I'm sure like they're already in progress, obviously, but at least from our end of when we get to see this, it's like still early stages. And I believe you and I talked about this when we were texting about the article coming out that obviously uh, we've not been invited, but we have big plans to visit Ireland. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in 2021, just to loiter on the set of Mr. Malcolm's List. We're very excited <laughs> about that. If we, again, we have no power here. We have no control over the state of the world or anything or travelability. But if Persuasion wanted to film around the same time and around the same location, we'd be happy to loiter on your film set too. Right now, we are essentially covering Persuasion in the form of Sonali Dev's amazing book. If you wanted us around, PAs, hype women, whatever you need, we're here <laughs> and we volunteer. Here's the thing too, is that I had posted a picture of like the three main women involved. The writer Jessica liked the picture and posted it to her stories. So we're in. <laughs> I would like to add another layer to that just to like let the listeners know how creepy we are. Yes, she did repost us. And Gemma Chan follows her on Instagram. Now, assuming she and Gemma are so close and Gemma Chan watches her Instagram stories every day, that means she saw the little grid that you created and she knows about us. Obviously, maybe she's heard about us through our connections to Mr. Malcolm's List, which yeah. she was part of the short film of. I mean, I feel like we should start advertising ourselves as the most well-connected Jane Austen adaptation podcast on the market. <laughs> I thought you were going to say well-connected to Gemma Chan. <laughs> and I'm like, I yes. mean, you know what? We, we probably should put that asterisk in there. I Well-connected <laughs> says like whatever, but like two, like two ins to Gemma Chan? I mean, two? Yeah. How many people have that? And also, I mean, look at our timing. Like when we were talking about Emma Approved, then the news came out that the new Emma movie was going to be coming out and that was great. We're covering Recipe for Persuasion and now news comes out that a Persuasion movie is getting made. Are we the influencers of the Jane Austen movie and TV industry? I'm just going to go out on a limb and say the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we joke about having no power, but I, I think that's the true joke because we are full of power. Yeah. We don't even know 
what we wield. I feel like we're not even aware of who our listeners are. I mean, I think most of our listeners are pretty coastal, but is it actually the people who are making Jane Austen films that are our biggest fans? Possibly. All we can do is speculate, but the evidence points to yes. Yeah. (laughs) Which actually, speaking of films, we can actually talk about something that we are both working on, um, and that's a Jane Austen short film, which is really exciting. (laughs) As some of you might know, every year, Jasna Southwest has a short film festival that's open to students, and it could be high school, college, grad. This year, they are open to everyone under 30, and we just make that cut. We're doing it. We're going for the gold. We... (laughs) basically have filmed it at this point. We spent some time writing it remotely and we filmed it safely and now it's in post. So the deadline on that is, I believe, October 30th. We're really excited because uh, we know or know of some of the judges. Ashley Clements of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. We know her, obviously. Adria Walden, who created and stars in Black Girl in a Big Dress. Which, like, big fans of both those web series. So yeah, um, no pressure that they'll be watching our little short film. I know. We'll see see how that goes. Another fun Pemberley podcast update for you guys is we've begun a weekly segment on our Instagram stories called Your Cup of Tea. We were inspired by, in the real world, BC, before COVID, there are bars all across the city, and I'm guessing all across America and the world, that do bar trivia on Wednesday nights. We've gone to a few ourselves. They're very fun. No one can really do that right now. So I was like, what if there was a fun trivia game that we could play on Wednesday nights. So each week we pick a different Jane Austen adaptation or probably also books in the future where we just come up with some quiz questions that you can answer. So be sure to look for that on Wednesday nights. So just a quick content warning, we do discuss suicide in this episode. So if that's triggering for you, be sure to check this episode description for the time code of where you can skip ahead to. Why don't we jump into this week's episode of Recipe for Persuasion? Previously, in chapters 23 and 24, we got a flashback to the night of Shobi's wedding when she first met Mina, and we saw how quickly they became friends and they bonded. We also saw just how protective Rico is of Ashna, but when he tries to confront her, she literally runs away in the other direction. So Ashna is still having trouble processing her own feelings. I don't know if you've seen the movie Into the Woods, but there's a part in a whole song where Anna Kendrick as Cinderella flees the ball, obviously, because Prince Charming wants to know everything about her. And so she sings on the steps of the palace. That doesn't happen here, but just the whole running away from the event and her Prince Charming just like gives me Into the Woods flashbacks. Yeah, because she's just like walking along the pier in San Francisco and she's just like thinking through all her feelings. It is a great moment where she should be able to break out into a song of being like, like, what is it, what do you want, Ashna? What are you trying to process and what are you running away from? And really, I think this whole chapter in general is a really clarifying time for Ashna because I think, you know, she 
she has been running away from all of her feelings and all of the, these really big things in her life for so long. She literally can't run anymore. And so she has to face them and she has to face those internal questions of like, what do I feel? Why am I cooking? What am I doing with my life? And she really has to face those. And she kind of does a quick decision where she decides to call Shobi and then quickly hangs up because she's like, what am I doing? Like for the first time in her life, she's going through a crisis where her reaction is to call her mom, which is never her reaction. You know, I think in general, her reaction is to internalize it, deal with it, bury it, and never think about it again. But in this case, she like actually was trying to reach out to someone, didn't fully go there yet. But I think it's like a small step, but it's a big step. Something that we've discussed a lot in the past, and it's just as prevalent here, is the way that Ashna survives is compartmentalizing her life and her feelings. And so, you know, as a teenager, it's like, I've got school and I've got soccer and I've got Rico and I've got mom and dad and I've got like all of these like little compartments that don't touch each other. Mm -hmm. And she's been trying to do that, but I feel like too many things are converging. The drama with Curry Dreams, her mother, her fear of cooking recipes that aren't from Baba, Rico, like all of it is just in the same place and she can no longer compartmentalize and it's sending her brain into overdrive. She's never gone to her mom for comfort or advice. That's not the relationship she has. She's like a, she has a very platonic relationship with her mother. It's really shocking to see her this desperate, like this on the edge. I mean, she throws up into the ocean. The funny thing is, this is like totally no one cares about this but me, but they mention her being on the big street in San Francisco, the Embarcadero, running from Piers 24 to 33. I know this whole neighborhood where she's running, and it's a very nice area, and she's just running and puking into the ocean. If anyone was around and watching that, they'd be like, what is going on <laughs> with this poor woman? She is... That tall child looks terrible. And we also get an answer to a flashback that happened a couple of episodes ago when they were teenagers. He got out of work. He couldn't help himself. He just had to see Ashna. So he goes to Curry Dreams where she worked at a, as a hostess at the time and she just couldn't say anything to him. Someone whispered something to her and she ran away and it was just so soul crushing for him that she ran away from him. And we see into what happened in that moment because we were like, something big happened. What happened? And what we find out is that Baba got drunk and soiled himself again. And so he was just upstairs lying there useless. And so she had to go immediately and take care of him and clean him up. Even after the restaurant closed after midnight, she had to like clean him up, change his clothes. And then she slept on the floor of his bedroom so that he wouldn't choke on his own vomit because that happened the previous month. And she didn't want him to go through that again. When we saw it from Rico's perspective, it was like he knew something was up. But the fact that she didn't turn to him and like confide in him or ask for help that even hurt him. And that's really all he's asking is like just to be let into her life. And Ashna just felt a lot of shame and humiliation. And she was like, I don't want him to see this part of me. I don't want him to know that this is my life. And, you know, she even says, like, she thinks Rico is undamaged from his upbringing. But, like, is he? Like, I don't think he is either. Like, because he's gone through some really tough stuff. Maybe she only just picks out the good parts of his story because I don't think he had a great life 
either. You know, he went through a lot of tough stuff, but in comparison to her, she's just like, no, no one can understand me. No one can possibly know what I'm going through. But if only she let him in, he would be like, yeah, our circumstances are different, but I can understand, you know, and she's just so worried about like letting anyone in and she just wants to feel like she's like the strongest person ever. I don't know, but it's really like Ashna versus the world. Like when people try to help her, she's just like, no, like I got this. Like whether it's coming from Rico or from Shobi or even from Baba, she just like kind of fights them all off. It says uh, she had never learned how to win. So it's like she's just, her default is to fight and never, never to like get past that. And I think something she definitely didn't think about as a kid and maybe still doesn't think about it now is that everyone carries their own trauma in their life. Her and Rico's are just so different because both her parents at the time were alive. She didn't have a happy home life. They fought. He drank. She left. And with Rico, it sounds like his parents were crazy about him. They loved him. He had a great upbringing, even though he and his mom had to be a secret from the world because his dad was so famous. And then he lost both of them in a tragic car accident, and he had to move to a new country and completely start over. She sort of idolizes her dad, but like he is not without his problems. She's definitely used to shouldering like we've talked about this, she's shoulders her parents' problems and she blames herself for a lot of their fights, which is so far from the truth. It's like she shouldn't be putting this kind of pressure on herself, but because she is so used to making herself the brunt of all of this stress and all of this agony, she's just like, no, I'll carry the whole world on my shoulders. And it doesn't occur to her to ask for help. She just internalizes too much. And Rico takes it personally, which is crazy, because I'm sure she does all that internalizing to protect Rico from her life and her trauma. Instead, she's hurting him because he wants to be there for her and she's not letting it happen. Yeah. So yeah, she's never felt like a winner. <laughs> and I'm sure that's kind of tough to come to the realization too, because that's literally what Shobi has been telling her for most of her adult life is like, don't you want to win? Don't you want to like progress and live your life? Because Ashna has been in default fight mode. She's like, no, I don't need to win. Like I'm fine. I'm surviving. Like she's barely surviving at where she's at. But if she wants to thrive and succeed, then yeah, she needs to figure out what areas in her life she needs to let go of. I mean, part of that is a lot of the guilt that she feels. But um, before we get to that, I mean, Shobi then calls her back and Ashna kind of just unleashes all of these questions at once to Shobi of like everything she's ever thought of like, did you ever feel guilt? Shobi just gives like the same answer she always has. Not to say that those are bad answers, but it's like she she's meant them every time, but Asha's never been open to listening to them. And I think she's not fully there yet. But something that, you know, you mentioned too beforehand was like the image of Baba needs to be broken before she can actually move forward. And that image isn't broken yet. So she, even though she's asking Shobi like these big questions, she's still kind of in, in a defensive mode of her father. Like she's still there to protect him. Part of the guilt she feels is because of the guilt that Ashna feels is because of um, the last words that Baba told her. This is sort of a really, really jarring part where at the bottom of page 306, it says, self-loathing twisted her insides. You're just like your mother, selfish. The last words Baba had said to her. We don't know what they were talking about. I think Sonali does a really good job of like giving us these flashes in these moments where it's like, blink and you'll miss it. Something was going down during their last conversation where he said she's just like her mother. 
and she's selfish, I think, to Ashna, especially then. That's the worst insult you could possibly throw at her is that she's just like her mother. Yeah. And, you know, then she – that was the last conversation they ever had. And I think – and we get into this more in this chapter and the next chapter, but Ashna blames herself for Brahm's suicide because of whatever it was that she did, whatever it is that she said to him to cause him to say that to her, she's like blames herself for it. And that's something that, you know, we don't even have insight of like, what was Brahm thinking about? Like, what was he going through? Because right now, Ashna thinks like, this one thing that I did, that's what caused it. Like, that's why he took his own life. But we don't know that that's the cause. That's why she's been like holding all this guilt. And it's not something that she's ever told anyone either. I think, you know, people see it. Mina sees it. And even Shobi sees it because of the fact that she's kept Curry dreams alive. That like she feels some kind of guilt and responsibility to keep the restaurant open. But I don't think she's ever like said it out loud. Like, I feel guilty for this. Being able to kind of process that and understand like, no, she was not responsible for this. And she shouldn't hold this guilt. But then the key thing that she finally reveals to herself is that cooking is her long drawn out apology to her father. In some ways, she feels like she wronged him in those last weeks or months or however long. So now she feels like my punishment or my apology life for life is I have to just cook and keep his legacy alive. This whole time, we've seen adult Ashna as she loves cooking. She thrives on making Baba's recipes. She's good at it. She's passionate about it. She's thrown her whole 20s into cooking. Then we get these snippets from Rico and from others hearing that when she was a teenager, she didn't even like cooking. She wasn't even a little bit interested in it or good at it. And so we're finally seeing that switch that went off in her head that made her passionate about soccer, this young woman with the world at her feet, to sentencing herself to being a chef and keeping curry dreams alive because she's just torn apart with the guilt that she might have caused her father's suicide. Something else that I think is worth noting is you and I, Yolanda, have had conversations over the course of this book where we do refer to Brahm's death as a suicide. But this, page 309, is the first time that we see the word suicide attached to his death because we've really just seen these snapshots and these flashes of like there was a life before him, there was a life after him. The sentence goes, the family had used all its influence to hide Baba's suicide and keep it out of the papers. You know, not only is it horrible to happen, but the fact that he did kill himself caused a scandal that the family went to the ends of the earth to cover up, which is probably why Rico doesn't know he's dead. Yeah, because I mean, part of the cover up was even like some people thought like, oh, he just like left the country. The Rajes are so protective of their name, their status, their power. Not only do they have the power to cover up something like that, but they're willing to do anything it takes to protect that power. What we're working towards, like what this whole book has been building to is whatever that fight was or whatever the ongoing arguments were between Ashna and Rico, where her father was like, this guy is not good enough for you. He's mm -hmm. like poor. He has no family. He wants to play soccer. Like that's going to last. And she had to choose him and her family and her name and what was expected of her. She had to put that above how happy he made her. Because there's also pockets in this chapter where she thinks about how Rico 
Rico is like home to her and, you know, she still feels so comfortable around him and she's still crazy about him and she just wants to touch him so badly. <laughs> and she has to fight all of that because choosing someone else is what's expected of her. Which I was like, now I'm trying to think like, what's a comparable real life example of like, who is like a Rajay family? Who's like a, a real life example that we could compare it to? I can't help but think of like literally the English royal family and Harry married Meghan Markle, who I love and adore. Boom, they split off from the and it caused a whole wave of drama. This is the part that I think we can't relate to. I don't have a name that's so important that there are people that I can't date or can't be with or can't marry. And she comes from that world. And it must be so hard because she went from living in a palace as a young child to just being a regular kid in the Bay Area to not live in that palace and have all those things and those servants and still be told there are people who are not good enough to be with you and marry you, even if they make you happy, is like so insane to her, obviously. Which is very much so Harry and Meghan. (laughs) Yeah. We stand them. We love them. Harry, he also chose love over duty. He had to kind of like renounce. It's weird because I feel like they still have a lot of privileges. I don't really know how it works. But they don't have all the privileges. Um, I think that's where a lot of the uh, controversy comes in. They're like, you're not really on your own, but you're acting like you're on your own. I'm not in charge of the money. I don't (laughs) know how this works. All I know is they're here in Southern California. Yeah. I hope I run into them one day. I don't think I will. Listen, there's going to be a paparazzi photo one day of like Harry at a coffee shop or something, you know? It's going to happen. I think the closest I can we can hope to meeting them is seeing paparazzi photos of them at a restaurant or something that we've been to. Yeah. And we're like, we're the same. <laughs> we are the same. <laughs> From the palace to Los Valleys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, we learn a little more about, because remember, the other really big issue in this book is that Ashna cannot cook food that is not a recipe of Baba's without having a panic attack. She's really been able to skate by from either having Rico do most of the cooking or she's able to make one of Baba's recipes so that she can handle it. But we learn that in Paris, where she went to culinary school, there was no problems with cooking. She learned to cook a bunch of new things. But the second she graduated and got back to Curry Dreams and she started cooking stuff that wasn't her father's, that's where the panic attack started because she could no longer really escape into the food, I think. Again, this is a chapter of Ashna and breakthroughs because she has like another mini breakthrough of like, I could cook at one point in my life. So she kind of has like this mantra that she's now repeating to to herself, like, keep your mind in Paris, just keep your mind in Paris. And kind of getting back into that mentality, she has the confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to go back to the studio and I'm going to cook, which is like a whole new Ashna to us, I think, because it's like we haven't seen confident Ashna. We've seen sort of Ashna who's very guarded and on the verge of a panic attack, but never someone who's like going into a kitchen and feels like she's just about to like own a challenge. So she does that. So she goes back to the studio. They find out their challenge and basically Ashna and Rico are going to need to make um, something that Rico likes, which is dolce de leche. Ashna is cooking. Like they're cooking together and they're working like a team and as if they've known each other forever, which they have. I mean, this is like a really big scene because she's essentially, who knows if she's like 
cured herself of her trauma or if like this was just like one obstacle that she's hopped over but it's really huge she's so comforted like she tells herself like don't freak out just think of paris rico is so nice to her and he's she feels so accepted by him and she feels comfortable around him that she says in that moment ashna knew there would be no panic attack that must be the most freeing feeling ever like rocking in there with the blood rushing in your ears and you're just like so afraid like she's afraid that they're gonna have to take her out on a stretcher she fears the humiliation of fainting in public i've fainted in public i know (laughs) it's humiliating (laughs) happened when i was 19 at the dmv it was crazy and i totally understand the fear that she has about like i came here to do this i don't know why i'm not fine i think it was a huge relief to her when like she realized it's not gonna happen you're gonna cook this you're gonna walk away from this you're gonna be just fine clearly like everyone sees their chemistry They get really positive feedback from the judges, which is really great. Um, So it seems like for the first time, they're working together really well. But I think it's great that she was able to overcome this one challenge. I don't think she should get too confident and be like, I'm cured. Like, I'm done. Like, I've figured it out. I think it's like having the ability for her to like kind of break past that is great. But pair that with therapy and pair that with like having a a strong community too that can help you is also important. So glad that she was able to push through this one time on her own. It's I don't think in any way it's sustainable if she keeps trying to do it on her own though. (laughs) Happy to see Ashna making those strides. With that, we can go into chapter 26, which is from Rico's perspective. We kind of go through some different challenges, but basically we find out that they are in the finals, which is really exciting. They keep working together. Ashna's been cooking, which is great to see. It's actually going to be like three partners in the finale. So there were just two good that they couldn't narrow it down to two. They're kind of like in a break between filming and Song kind of comes up because, you know, she still has hope that Rico and her will be a thing. She is no longer hiding behind her sweet demeanor and is kind of showing more of her jealousy of being like, Rico is mine. Uh, I saw him. I claimed him back off. It's Uh, so funny because he's just like, oh, I think Song might be into me. And I'm like, I get that she's being more direct in this chapter, but I feel like it's been obvious for like 50 to 75 pages that she's into like I just feel like it was there from the get-go and I'm like man like you don't know anything (laughs) (laughs) no I mean that was when Z pointed it out to him he was like she's into you you know and he was like what yeah song no like we're friends and now he's yeah that's stupid I think that possibly she might have feelings for me maybe z was right (laughs) so yeah he was like was z right this is the confusing part for him where he's like did song think rico had feelings for her other than fondness and friendship so i feel like as much as he's like is she into me he's also now teetering on that territory of like crap does she think that i like her back and it's just one of those things where it's like pick a side and make it really obvious <laughs> so then ashna and rico go to chat with china in her office i think china is just like really happy she's like great the ratings are great like i brought in ashna somehow rico's on this show i put this power couple together and she's like thank you guys but also i think you should be thanking me a little bit <laughs> kind of like a knowing glance to the two of them of like i see what's going on here (laughs) you don't need to hide anymore and obviously they're not gonna want to answer that in any way so rico's like i'm gonna leave and i'll let you two talk 
it's becoming more obvious to everyone. I don't know, it's not dangerous, but it's like, oh no, like we're not gonna be able to hide for much longer. So like they got to figure out what their status is too. I think it's what China said. She was like, he overhears her saying, I might have found someone to melt through the famous Ashna Raje ice. And Rico thinks to himself, all it took was for them to be in the same room and they were puddles all over the place. Not a sliver of ice in sight. Two puddles in the same room. <laughs> love it. I mean, I really love this one sentence on 324 where it says, His nemesis, the famous Ashna Blush, spread up the column of her neck and across her cheeks in a slow, ruthless burn. I'm like, Dang! I feel like I need to excuse myself from this chapter <laughs> so they can have some time alone. We switch to a completely different romance slash bromance. Rico, who has been aggressively tracking Yesh Rajay's campaign, sees something. And again, this is where Sonali waves her magic wand in terms of like, blink and you'll miss it. There's something to see here, but we don't know what it is yet. Something in the news about him and his long-term girlfriend. Because Rico has worked with a team of soccer players where like people try to pull scandals out of nothing all the time too. He's like, he can see an oncoming scandal a mile away. So he's like, something's up. Something might happen with Yash and his campaign, which, oh no, like I hope that doesn't affect all of his campaign. Like is something gonna happen where like he's gonna need to drop out of the race? That would be awful. Because even if it's just the girlfriend, like sometimes that can affect people's image of the actual candidate and that could just affect his whole campaign. I'm choosing to focus less on, oh no, is his campaign ruined? And more like, something's happening with Yasha's girlfriend. Does that mean Yasha's about to be a single man? That too. <laughs> I guess because you and I have speculated a lot to each other and on this podcast about like, who is Yash in the sort of Jane Austen lexicon? Who could he be? It sounds like he's about to be single is something that I'm saying out loud. Hoping because we have magic powers in terms of like making things happen. I just hope and think that maybe he might be single very soon and he's going to need a new first lady of California. Play, I could be wrong. We could play into the sense and sensibility. It's all very early stages. Like, we don't know. We're just still speculating. Rico has, like, a quick call with Z, and he's like, why are you still thinking about this woman? And, like, just why aren't you just asking her and talking to her? Like, what went wrong between you two? So uh, Rico gets a little bit of a push in confidence from that. So Rico conspires with China to let Ashna borrow her car so that he can be like, hey, Ashna, can you give me a ride home or give me a ride to this place? And that's when China's like, sure, why? Wait a second. And she realizes that, oh, these two have known each other. Or they're like, this isn't the first time that they've met. This is... I gotta say, like, one of my most, like, it happened to me, so I'm sure it happened to you. When I read this, I was like, <gasps> like, hand flew to my chest, clutching my pearls, because this is the first person who's learning, like, he's basically like, uh, I just need to be somewhere, and Ashna needs to take me, and I promise <laughs> she needs it, and it's a good thing. And she's like, what do you know about Ashna's needs? And then she's like, this isn't the first time you've met. Yeah. And he's like, you are correct. And her exact words are, oh, God, you're Frederick Wentworthing her. And I was like, ah! Like, so meta. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes on to say, I'm half agony, half hope, Miss Dashwood. He is directly quoting persuasion, which means he's read persuasion. 
when so back years ago when you and I were talking about the Lizzie Bennet diaries, one of the facts about Lizzie and Charlotte's friendship is that their moms met in book club discussing sense and sensibility. And so we were like, wait a minute, does Pride and Prejudice exist in the universe of the Lizzie Bennet diaries? So what I love about this example is we are experiencing the story of persuasion while the source material of persuasion also exists. And I just love that it's sort of like a story based on a story. And yeah. I'm just here for it. <laughs> and it's also just exciting to to have Rico say that line of half agony, half hope. I also love that the best friend is on board because yeah. this whole time, like she doesn't have the facts, she doesn't have the story, but she knows that they were a thing and he's trying to get her back or make her happy or whatever. So, I mean, Ashna has made really great strides in the past chapter and Rico is finally going to try to actually ask the question he's been wanting to ask this whole time, it seems like. So some really great progress is getting made. And I mean, we don't have a lot of the book left. So I'm like, please, can all of this get resolved in this short of time? Uh, I think it will. So I have hopes Well, for that. you are half agony, half hope, much exactly. like Rico. Exactly. I feel like this is a great place to say, will Ashna and Rico work through their problems? Will they tell the world that their former lovers and the love of each other's lives Will Rico eventually become full hope, no agony? <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned for next up week's episode so that we may continue the recipe for persuasion saga. Mm-hmm.